Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. I'm one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and uh, with me as always, we got the whole gang back. So, gentlemen, uh, Derek, go ahead and start introducing yourselves again. Hey, everybody. This is Derek. Welcome back to episode 26 of Red Shirts and Runabouts. Woo! And, uh, yeah, it's me, Jeremy. Hello. Jeremy from uh, lovely Los Angeles, you enjoying your new uh, your new time out there, your new job? Yes, so so good. And the weather is always perfect, and there are celebrities and comedy shows. It is pretty great. Just rub our faces in it. Are you man. suggesting that snow into April, like end of April, is a bad thing? Uh, no, because the snow out where you are is making it like really comfortable. You know, seventy degree breezes out here, so. As long as you guys take the brunt of it and we just get perfect weather, I, I think we're good. Well, I'll have you know that my dog really liked the snow, so... Of course. Luna's a snow, snow-type dog. <laughs> so she's happy. That's good. She's vulnerable to fire attacks. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was pretty clever. But, but on that note, since we have depressing weather, let's talk about optimistic stuff like Star Trek. Specifically, um, some of the news for uh, Star Trek Discovery has been piling on the news these past, this past week. You know, with casting news, directorial news, uh, they started filming. Uh, let's. What do you guys think of John, Jonathan Frakes is coming back for what two more episodes? Yeah, yeah, he'll be back for at least two, uh, including episode two, which is interesting um, that they're bringing him back for episode two and not episode one. Did they announce the director for the first episode yet? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, I think Jonathan Frakes is the only confirmed person, though I'm sure. I mean, they, filming started a couple days ago, so I'm sure they know at this point who's directing what they started filming. <laughs> I hope so, yeah. Um, so that, that'll be interesting to kind of figure out who that is. I'm looking through some articles to see if maybe we can call that out, but I don't know. Yeah, it looks like it's still very preliminary. Like IMDb doesn't even have the cast of the show on on the episode, season two, episode one. Oh, director director Alex Kurtzman. So it, it does have that. Oh, okay, okay. So Kurtzman's doing the first one. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Here we go. Alex Kurtzman will be directing the season two premiere on Trek Core. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Uh, but yeah, Jonathan Frakes also mentioned that at least his episode will include a childhood Spock, a young Spock. So not not the Spock who is currently serving aboard the Enterprise under C- Christopher Pike, but a young Spock. Speaking of young Spock, the episode that we watched today, I was expecting to see a younger Nimoy. Has he ever not looked old? <laughs> How old was he when they did this show? Oh man, that's hilarious. Um, you know, I, 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 I'm going to look up his birth date, but the, the pilot. So we, of course, watched The Cage, which is the original pilot for Star Trek. And, uh, Leonard Nimoy is in it, of course, but he, um, that, that episode was filmed in 1964. Um, and so Nimoy would have been, let's see, he was born in 1931. So he was, you know, 33. Oh, he's the same age as me. So, Man. Yeah. he looked old as fuck. <laughs> Which is pretty cool to think about because so Spock was in the cage, obviously the bulk of the movies, and they're going to have a young Spock with Discovery. So obviously, it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be like a Zachary Quinto thing. You think in when you think young, do you think they're going to do like a flashback like um, like two thousand nine did? 
Yeah, that's exactly what this is supposed to be. According to Frakes, it's going to be specifically Burnham flashbacks. So I imagine this will let us see the two of them together as children. Which makes sense. That'd be cool. I mean, we brought that up in a couple of the episodes in Discovery. Is how did they have a human adopt sister and never Spock never talk about it? Maybe they'll actually give a, give a reason. They're gonna, you know, they're gonna retcon something for why Spock never talked about her. Yeah, well, cool. I mean, we just reviewed Star Trek Five: The Final Frontier, and I mean, Spock never mentioned his half brother either. So there's there's precedent for Spock not telling Kirk and Bones information about his family. If your half-brother was Cybok, would you ever talk about him? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a fair point. That is a fair point. I'd talk but... about how much he sucked. Ooh, <laughs> Maybe the flashback will also have a young Cybok in it. <laughs> Just oh, have all three of them on there. Well, so Cybok is, not to derail things, Cybok is older, um, then Spock by quite a bit, so I feel like he still would have been an adult by that point, just nowhere near as old as we saw him. When when do Vulcans hit maturity? <laughs> yeah. I think Cybok is supposed to be, like, significantly older, like 20-something years older than, than Spock, because they have t- different mothers. That's true. That's ah. a good point. Well, you know, if they do it, if they do it um, with class and have the flashback with young Spock, and it's not like a rivalry, it's not something weird. It's maybe they're somehow bonding because they're going to include the whole two thousand nine how Spock was mistreated as a kid for having a human mother. Maybe it's going to show them bonding or something. Not, I don't want them to do. It's going to be too cliche if they have that weird sibling rivalry. Not all siblings have that. True. That yeah. is true. I don't know that that yeah that for discovery that seems too boring of a trope to lean on. I'm sure it's going to be something fascinating that we can't we don't have anywhere near enough clues to speculate upon. You are probably correct. Um, other interesting news is there are some articles bouncing around a bit about the Enterprise design on Discovery. Um, earlier in the week, it was announced that. The Enterprise looks different because they legally had to change it um, a certain percentage because of rights issues. Well, it turns out that's not true at all. Well, it's not true that it was announced. It was just speculated upon by – it was just all rumors. The the articles I read certainly did not include the words rumors or anything like that. They made it seem as real as possible. Um, yeah, because they're entertainment journalists, which is really frustrating. But yeah. uh, but it's not true. Uh, it's not true at all. They decided to change the design a bit to update it. Um, I'll just read the quote here. Um, so this is this is a, the official response that a CBS representative gave Trek Corps uh, earlier this week. Um, CBS TV Studios does in fact have the right to use the USS Enterprise ship design from the past TV series and are not legally required to make changes. The changes in the ship design for Discovery were creative ones made to utilize 2018's VFX technology. Um, And they were comparing it here to there's a ship of the line calendar that shows that enterprise and so they also said the art that was used in the 2019 calendar is concept art which was completed long before the visual effects process was so um i don't know where this idea of it being a legal issue came from and i would be very curious to know sounds to me like somebody didn't like the design and wanted to come up with their own headcanon as to why it's different also it's just dumb i mean they have the rights to Star Trek. They wouldn't be making Star Trek if they couldn't make Star Trek. It's not like they're going to like, uh, the only thing you're not allowed to show is the Enterprise. It's like, of course well, they can't. the rights are complicated because Paramount and CBS own different rights. Yeah, but that's the whole like changing a certain percentage of it. That's that's just not how it works. Yeah, that's, that's silly. Um, yeah. But I am curious where that came well, from. Well, on this so. topic, and I know I'm the guy that complains about the ships in DS9 being made of, you know, paper mache and glass. But even when they use modern technology to change the designs of ships, it doesn't bother me. It actually, I kind of get it. It makes complete sense that you're going to use the better technology of today. 
Well, also their design was, it looked campy. I mean, even the, the really nice models from the later movies, it would look silly compared to the sleek, chromed out, glossy exterior of the Discovery. Unless they made significant changes, it wouldn't look like it was in the same universe. Well, I still feel like the Discovery doesn't look like it fits any of the other ships that we've seen so far in its own show, um, Enterprise included, but I like the new Enterprise design. I think it clearly looks like a Constitution-class ship, and while, yes, there's some obvious changes like the gap in the struts and some other things like the deflector dish, um, it it's clearly a Constitution-class starship. Um, I, I think it looks great. Yeah, it's kind of got that battlecruiser feel look to it on screen like they were supposed to have. You know, they call them heavy cruisers, but they were like the pinnacle, quote-unquote, science-slash-warships of the Federation at this point. Absolutely, yeah. So, I think that's pretty much it for news. I'm not sure if there's anything else I'm forgetting. I mean, they announced the casting Uh, of, um, I can't think of the comedian's name, Tig... uh, Tignataro, that's it. Right, um, which is kind of interesting because this character will be on a different ship. Um, it's a it's a guest role um, on the USS Hiawatha. Um, so we have a new ship that will at least show up to some extent that we'll we'll get to know. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, and it kind of reminds me of the Rain Wilson Rain Wilson casting from the first season for Harry Mudd. It's like, you know bringing some levity to to mix it up at some point. That's a good point. I mean, Tig has, yeah, Tig is not known for being in, like, science-heavy roles. Obviously more of a stand-up comedian, so I wonder what they're going to end up doing with that character. I mean, we'll obviously find out here in a year, but... Yeah. Well, she did used to host a podcast called Professor Blastoff, so... <laughs> I like it. Uh, I, I did not know that, actually. That's pretty funny. Yep, her and Kyle Dunnigan and David Huntsberger had a comedy podcast where they discussed science and various things. Hmm. Nerdist. Very cool. Anywho, right. well, on to sh- this weird episode of this weird show. What do you mean, weird episode of weird show? The Cage? Come on. I was watching it and I was thinking the better title for this should have been like a blonde brunette and a redhead walk into a box. (laughs) So let's give a little bit of background here for anybody who's (laughs) not following along with us. Um, Star Trek had two pilots. This was the first pilot called The Cage, which was actually recorded in 1964 with a production date kind of spanning 1965. Um, The network passed on the show and basically everything was changed other than Spock's existence and um, the bridge design as well as mostly the ship design uh, when we got um, the Where No Man Has Gone Before um, second pilot that you end up seeing in the original series. So this episode looks totally different. It's totally different. Um, A lot of things obviously were changed from it. Uh, If you want to watch this episode, it is on Netflix as the first episode, if you have the Blu-rays, uh, which is how I watched it, it, is actually a special feature on the final disc of season three. So there's uh, two cuts of the episode on that disc. There's the regular cut, which is based on the footage from the episode The Menagerie. And then there's the extended cut, which includes all of the footage that still existed um, in 1988 when the episode first actually aired on television. Mm. So this just collected dust for 20 years? Basically, yeah. Um, wow. The show wanted nothing to do with it. You know, the, the whole idea was going to kind of mess with the timeline. But in 1988, um, it was decided, or 86, uh, it was decided that they were going to show the episode in its entirety best that they could, uh, which is a really interesting cut of the movie because many of the scenes are actually in black and white. Wow which is really cool. So that's actually the version of the episode I watched. I'm going to assume, Jeremy, by your response, you did not see that. <laughs> uh, no. I just watched whatever the, the hundred and, or the uh, hour and three minute episode was that was on Netflix, which if, had I seen it, I would not pick up that series either. What about you, Greg? How did you watch it? 
<laughs> the Cage? Yeah. No, I remember... Well, I've watched both. I've watched the one on the Blu-ray set, and I've watched the one on Netflix. Okay. So I've kind of I've kind of seen both, but I I distinctly remember seeing this as a kid in like the 1988 1989 when it came out on TV, and yeah, I remember even being you know like a seven eight year old brat being like, um, because comparing it to Next Generation, I'm like, what is this? This is just <laughs> yeah. weird. And I've seen I, even at that point, I'd seen some of the original series. It, I always remember even today look or back as a kid and all the way to today, you know, they're wearing sweaters which is with, with Starfleet insignia sewn on them, which I get it. It's the 60s. I'm not complaining about the velour uniforms. But <laughs> I always distinctly remember the the gold sweater. <laughs> yeah. Those baggy sweaters with, like, the big loose necks. Yeah, well, we even get that, though, in the second pilot. Those uniforms still exist. No, that's a good point. That's very true. So they weren't changed until after the show was officially picked up, which is kind of interesting. Um, so I guess uh, some other background for the episode. Um, part of the reason the show wasn't picked up was that Gene Roddenberry had pitched the show as a space western. And uh, the cage, of course, is far from a western. Like it or not like it, it is certainly not the tone of a western. No. Um, it's, it would be hard to parallel that in like a cops and robbers, cowboys and Indians kind of thing. Absolutely. It and, involves so much psionics. And one of the other big things was color. So the original series was actually designed to help sell color television sets, which were a big deal huh, in the mid-1960s. Cool. And the cage is nowhere near as bright and colorful as the original series ended up being once it actually aired on television. So Roddenberry was supposed to make it more like a Western that was more accessible and brighten things up a bit, too. Um, additionally, it wasn't super loved that the number two in command, uh, in this case, number one, was a woman on the bridge rather than it just being a bunch of men running the crew, uh, which is why she was demoted um, in the actual show. I mean, yeah, and that that on top of all the other, like, problematic gender politics of this episode Oof. man there are so many of those so yeah i guess i guess we can dive right in i i guess jeremy you don't like the episode um i personally i do like a lot of it not all of it of course greg how, what's your overall feeling i like the overall implications of a species like the telosians and the whole starfleet doing the uh like the quarantine of the planet for how dangerous that species would be. I, I like that because that's, and Jeremy was kind of just talking about a few minutes ago about the whole psionics of the episode. Star Trek, yeah, you, next generation we have the beta Zeds and we have mind readers, but it's like the the first time, one of the only times in Star Trek you have a race that's got such powerful mind altering. It's not even technology. It's just physiology. I kind of like that. They're almost like good villains. But then, of course, you know, we'd never hear of them ever again. I mean, I think there's a couple throwaway lines in Next Generation where it's... I, they're talking about, oh, we quarantined a planet the first time we quarantined a planet since Talos 4 or whatever. But otherwise, Ooh. you never hear or see from them again. And it's... So, I like, yeah, I like the overall story, but I'll, I'll admit there's some goofy elements that are more embarrassing than goofy. I was, I mean, for them as a species, I was so, I was, I was kind of on board at the beginning because I was like, I can see what they're, I can see where they're going. But the fact that they, in the end, were like, oh, we thought you wanted to be slaves, even though we were like threatening you and all this stuff. It's like, now that we've seen what you guys are like, we don't, we're not going to try and make you slaves because you wouldn't like it. It's like. What the hell kind of, it's like, why did they shut their ship down if they had this weird alien expectation that humanity was just going to be like, yay, we're slaves. Yeah, they definitely seem to run out of ideas at the end for how to wrap up the episode. It was like a bad sketch. It was like, how do we get out of this? Uh, we don't want you to be slaves. Get out of here. Okay. Well, here's a good question <laughs> for you guys. If you treat this like the pilot of Star Trek, the original series... Of all the pilots that we've seen so far, where do you rank this one? 
for all Star Trek. Like pilots. for example, my least favorite is still Voyager's Caretaker. I oh no, I totally disagree. This would be dead last for me. Wow, yeah. really? Yeah, because no one is likable. Like none of these people. So here's here's the craziest thing about this episode. The biggest emotional reaction I saw on any character in this episode was from Spock. <laughs> at the beginning when he's like showing something to Pike or looking at it, he has this big goofy grin on his face like he's having a real fun time. And it's like, why is Spock the the most emotional character on this show? Yeah, no, that's 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 a really good point. And, I mean, Spock's character was completely different in this one. Um had a lot of weird direction from that standpoint. He was supposed to be very emotional. He had, of course, the, the more exaggerated eyebrows. Um, but it is difficult. You know, Pike is not really likable because he's supposed to be this kind of worn out, dreary captain who's on the verge of retiring because he's just so fed up with everything. Um, you know, the doctor doesn't quite pull off the grumpy old man routine like Bones ends up doing. And... Number one is is kind of pushed off to the side. Every time she tries to do anything, she's kind of just insulted as having this computerized mind, which I feel like they thought was supposed to be a compliment in 1965, but really does not sound like one today. Well, also there's that odd... So the yeoman redhead shows up and, and he's like, oh, I don't like having women on board. And then number one was like, what do you mean? And he's like, oh, not not you. I don't consider you a woman. It's like, that's, that's their dynamic is that it's like, she's just his bro. And are we supposed to feel something about this? Well, that's, that's the idea, right? They they allude to it a few times. Like she's supposed to be this kind of like emotionless computer, not like other women, you know, like, which comes off just terrible. Like, I, I don't know how that came off in 1965. It definitely comes off in the 1990s and 21st century when I've been watching this episode. So well, you can definitely tell that even though Roddenberry admitted he wanted to challenge the whole racial and gender stereotypes of the day, but it's like they almost didn't know how much to push those those uh, like changes on screen. It's like they had an idea of what to do, but then when it came time to implement it, what's that phrase? Um, I don't care what you intended, I care what you did. It's like they had right, good intentions, yeah. but then the delivery is just awkward. Because I remember that the the redheaded actress in the film. I mean, I'm just gonna say it, she's there for the physical allure portion. That's it. So they're still using that trope, even though they're trying to also challenge that trope of the '60s. I mean, all like we we do have to look at it through the lens of the time. Uh, we we can't make too much fun of the fact that they talk about their memory banks being on tape and uh, <laughs> Yeoman, Yeoman Redhead handing him a big clipboard with a bunch of loose crumpled pieces of paper on it at the end of the episode. So it's, but, but also, I mean, women were treated like sex objects in this time in, in culture and on, in media and stuff like that. So it's not super surprising that, these three women were treated as literal sex objects that were like, choose from these three sex objects. Which one would you like to keep? And it's like, oh, okay, Grace. Yeah. I mean, it's um, true. That, that is kind of the whole premise, right? Is The idea is just to propagate the species on this planet. So really all that needs to happen is Pike just has to get with somebody. Right. Which is <laughs> like, okay, fun. Fun plot for an episode. But it's like, that's the the overall plot of the episode is welcome to our fun space show here's the captain he starts off very sad that people have recently died and it's like oh cool i'm super excited to watch this fun space show where (laughs) a man is sad about all of his dead friends it's like let's that's a great step one it was a much more serious show I think than the original series ended up being right. Like, of course all the Star Treks have their serious moments, but this one starts like with the ground running of just being dark. In fact, if you'll notice, uh, Spock is limping through the whole episode. Um, and (laughs) this, this was Gene Roddenberry's idea. He wanted Nimoy to limp because it was supposed to show that he had been injured in that battle that Pike is referring to where several people were injured and so forth. 
just what like what was supposed to be good about like I I mean you guys have both have expressed some positivity about this episode what about this episode is engaging to you guys because for me it's just this slog from beginning to end with these long like three minute straight stretches of just people kind of mugging at each other or walking around I like some of the messaging I like the idea that we're we're trying to do better as a species, right? So even at the end, when Pike's been through all of this stuff and he's been threatened and he's been tortured and, you know, uh, his ship's in danger, that he's still willing to put the guns down and negotiate peace. Um, it's a message that Star Trek has tried to do quite a bit over the years, and I think it's an important one to not forget. And it, it starts that way. It starts with wanting to put a woman in a position of power, um, even though the networks weren't super thrilled with that, they tried and maybe they failed, but they tried, um, you know, they, they were trying to do what the message of Star Trek is supposed to be, right? The message of Star Trek is this exploration of finding new life and understanding that new life, those new civilizations. And that's what this sh- episode really focuses on. It's not very action heavy. It's very character driven. It's about, learning who these people are like him or not. Like if you don't like Pike, that's fine, but you're learning who he is, what makes him tick, what makes him drive and what would eventually lead him to either continuing being captain or not. Um, I mean, I guess that's what I like about it is the character aspects. I like the, vi- like I said, I like the villains, the Telosians. I just like that. It's not like if they use the Telosians today in a Star Trek film, or any kind of film, I would like the whole fact that the villain is a mental power versus what 2009 and Into Darkness, gigantic enemy, gigantic spaceship, oh my god. Or what some of the Marvel movies were, which is gigantic gigantic space beam that's blue attacking the Earth. I like that the villains were something, they were small, they were weak, they were meant to look androgynous. You know, they were all the people inside those costumes were all women because Roddenberry had an idea of I want them to be androgynous because I want the idea that they're that they've been relying on mental power so long that they've abandoned the physical you know strength aspects I think that that stuff's kind of cool I mean I'll admit it's some of the delivery is is bad like you said Jeremy it's they have this unlimited mental power and they still don't realize that humans don't like being in a cage well, and that's that piece of it. I think is is what ruins the entire episode for me. Is that like Pike is is trying to be noble while also being savage to to combat their mental prowess. He uses logic to to kind of get them to admit that there's a big hole in the the glass wall that was shot by the laser. So like that's that's a cool, very Trekian kind of plot device where he's like, well, I can either shoot you and we can all pretend that this laser doesn't work or you can just show us the hole that the laser already made. And that's like, yeah, that's good. That's good writing. But at the end, it's just like nothing that they did mattered because all the the other two aliens take the busted ass elevator up to the surface and they're just like, oh, we just downloaded all their stuff here. And then he just kind of takes a second to think about it and goes, oh, you guys don't want to be here. Bye. It's like, so nothing that Pike did mattered, nothing that any of them did mattered, because in the grand scheme of things for this episode, it was just a matter of them waiting to download all of the Enterprise's weird pictures of Nixon and anatomy diagrams for them to know that they didn't like to be slaves. What's kind of cool, though, if you read the behind the scenes stuff, Nichelle Nichols, who wasn't involved, was talked about it in an interview like years in the past that said the episode kind of laid out what the future of Star Trek was because they resolve it using diplomacy, essentially, which is basically half of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's Picard solving a problem with diplomacy and words and not just unloading the full potential of the Enterprise-D. It doesn't mean the episode's good. It just means that the template kind of sets up the future of Star Trek. And I would totally agree with that if his 
diplomatic actions had anything to do with the end result of what got them off the planet. His his diplomacy wasn't what taught them that people that humans don't like to be slaves. It was their databanks. Well, the databanks I think do undercut what's going on on the surface. But I think that if you take that part out for a minute, they were still going to reach the same endpoint. I think that just solidifies it because they're, they're in the process of negotiating and Pike is, you know, a, trying to, a, you know, compromise. He's saying he'll stay behind and so forth because his crew is more important than his commander, his own life and that, that kind of thing. But that's, that's part of Star Trek too. that sacrifice of, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one that's as Star Trek as it gets. And that's exactly what Pike is doing in that moment. And we have to take the, the cage for what it is. The cage is a failed pilot for a franchise that ended up lasting. And so aspects from it were borrowed and used. And that is definitely one of those things. Yeah. But again, if you read a lot of the stuff that the actors and actresses say, Majel Barrett said this is one of her top two original series episodes. Her other favorite, oh boy. which Jeremy, you haven't seen this one yet, but Derek, you'll, you're going to get a good laugh. Her other favorite is City on the Edge of Forever, which is one oh, of the yeah. top ten Star Trek episodes of all the series all time, probably. It's usually on people's top lists across all of Star Trek, let alone the original series. Um, and I, I think that's a really good point, because while the cage has its problems and it was a pilot and it's important to remember it was written in the early sixties produced in 64, 65. Um, you know, so that's, that's also important, but it stands for the meaning of star Trek. It is about that human experience. It's about, you know, who you are on the inside, right? This whole thing is about controlling your thoughts, knowing what's real and what's not real. It's not about phasers and torpedoes. And, you know, that's what Star Trek ended up becoming even later. I mean, you look at the movies, you know, and Star Trek, you know, okay, so the Wrath of Khan is a big naval battle. And um, Star Trek V is literally shooting uh, disruptors at a god. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Star Trek VI is, you know, some, some espionage, secretive stuff, but there's still torpedoes flying and people dying and... You know, First Contact, of course, has the big Borg battles. You know, the the big Star Trek films are action-packed films. Um, But, you know, what is Star Trek may not be, like, what it is at its its core, the message it's trying to give may not be exciting, but it's important. It's what the whole franchise has stood on. And just like the motion picture, the cage follows those rules. Well, and that's why Insurrection is my favorite Star Trek movie. Because it's all about just kind of chilling and talking to some weird colonists about some weird alien stuff. You just love Worf's purple space bazooka. Admit it. Uh, I love the part where Data talks about how firm his breasts are. (laughs) Saddle up. Anyways. (laughs) Such a good movie. When we get to that one, should we sing British Tar? I feel like we should. I think we have to. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're, I think we're contractually I'm in, obligated. I'm in LA now. I might get hit by some ass cap lawsuits. I don't know what that means. It's the the group that doesn't allow you to use copyrighted music. Oh, I see. I see. I'm not sure British tar would be copyrighted. I feel like that's why Star Trek used it. That's probably true. <laughs> they went on like YouTube to find royalty free music. Like, oh, yeah, this yeah, is they went we on use. YouTube I, in 1993. Yeah, I guess, I don't know if there was YouTube yeah, when Star Trek Insurrection came out, was there? <laughs> no. <laughs> Insurrection? Insurrection? No. I didn't think so. No. So they went on They went on Napster uh, and found royalty-free music. <laughs> yes. Uh, but anyway, so, so cycling back uh, to, to the cage, of course. So we, we haven't really talked a whole lot of specifics or anything like that, um, do you guys want to dive into Vina at all? Our one one and done character, so to speak. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, I mean, they go down, or Pike goes down to the planet. He gets trapped by some big-headed, like, thinker-style aliens 
and trapped in a small glass box and then is introduced to a pretty young blonde woman who is questionably No, no, they they meet beforehand. Oh, do they? Yeah. Yeah, so they meet at the fake encampment of the crashed survivors. Right, she, right, right. Right, because she was supposedly just a baby when the ship crashed. So she's, of course, this, this beautiful young woman who is supposed to be very enticing to uh, to Pike, of course, little you know, as well as the other men. And so she takes him to where they're, you know, she she like they go off on their own for some reason. I guess Pike is intoxicated with her or something, and gets separated from the rest of the group, which yep. is a little tropey. I don't know. Was it was it yeah. tropey back in the sixties? It's tropey today. <laughs> I mean, it's it's tropey. It's like a proto proto yeah, trope. trope, but today it is. But back then, I don't know. I mean, there really wasn't anything else on TV like Star Trek. That's a good point. It's because there were two channels. There were three. Jeremy, <laughs> was it NBC, CBS, and ABC? ABC? There we go. ABC's always forgotten. Yeah. Well, it's um, Disney now. So It'll yeah, never be so... forgotten again. So yeah, so she, so she kind of tricks him into being captured by the Telosians. And it's interesting because, you know, at, in the beginning, he's not even sure that she's real, right? He's convinced that she is completely a figment of his imagination. Yeah, and it kind of turns out that she was an illusion the whole time. So it was, it's not inaccurate. I mean, well, there was one real. point where she just kind of disappears. But she's real. Yeah, she's based on a real gross person. So let's let's talk about when she disappears for a minute because that's actually a part of the episode that's always bothered me. Um, when they make her disappear, how, how did they do that exactly? Because they've never really been able to show their ability to manipulate objects. I mean, it could certainly be that she was never there because they they project her her beauty version over herself, they could just as easily project her just that isn't being controlled by her. So she was in just another cage somewhere and they were like, so what you're telling me is the last Jedi ripped off the cage. Okay. Moving on. Yes. (laughs) And she's a force projection. Is that what this is? I actually would think they did is they just manipulated everybody else's mind around her to trick them into thinking that she was gone. So she's... So where she, was no, she? she was still right there. It's just she was invisible to all of them. That's because It's like the same thing they did with the whole... Jeremy mentioned it, the whole elevator thing. Elevator. Um, turbo... Whatever they call it. Turbo lift. The turbo lift was actually destroyed. You know, the phaser that was firing on the door destroyed it. But they all thought it was perfectly fine because of the Telosian mind thing. But when they right. came back up and they removed the illusion, it ended up being destroyed. So I'm thinking she was still there. She just appeared and like they somehow used their mental powers to mask her from being seen by anybody else. Kind of more like a I'm gonna I'm gonna use a Marvel reference, almost like a Scarlet Witch type thing. That's interesting. I had not considered that. I like that. Okay. I could be making the episode smarter than it intended to be, but <laughs> damn it, what's well, not? It's not smart to say, like, you can't trust anything, so whatever we do is just up to your interpretation. Like, that that's like what Legion does, and Legion is a brilliant show. This was just like, we don't know. They can do stuff. They're aliens. It's like, I don't, I don't think they knew what the science was behind her disappearing in that moment. They just thought it would be cool for her to disappear. I mean, in the same sense that Spock was saying, like, f- fire up the time drive. I, I don't think they had everything figured out. Well, like, the time yeah. warp. They're going to prepare for a time warp. Right. So. Well, because warp drive, you know, is a complicated construct. Well, he called it hyperdrive. I thought he called it time warp. Well, he said, like, activate the hyperdrive and prepare for time warp. Oh, okay. So he used both. <laughs> yeah, he's just saying words. <laughs> just saying words. <laughs> Look, they're just trying to find sci-fi words that mesh. They didn't know. They didn't know this was going to end up resulting in 50 years of, of Star Trek history. 
No, but they certainly had a lot to go on because at this point there was still like Buck Rogers and and all kinds of pulp sci-fi stuff like it's, Lost in it's, Space. Yeah, it's it's not like they were they were making up the genre from whole cloth. There were there were a lot of tropes out there about weird aliens like Doctor Who preceded this. Well, yeah, but I mean, there's also Flash Gordon, which yeah. You know, I I admit I love Flash Gordon, but I don't know if I would use it to base my sci-fi series off of. <laughs> maybe maybe the Queen film from the eighties. I would definitely use that. I don't know what that is. The oh, Fla- the, the they Flash Gordon. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. That one. I mean, come on. He introduces himself in a tight T-shirt, like three sizes too small, as Flash Gordon, quarterback, New York Jets. I mean, that's perfect for Flash Gordon and Star Trek. Perfect is the word, yes. So let's talk about some of the weird illusions they make him see. Um, how did you guys feel about the Orion scene? It was... I, I did not know that the the concept of sexy green women went back to the, the very beginning. Right? The Orions were there from the beginning. Because having not seen um, the original series, I think my first... My first memory of seeing a sexy green woman was at the beginning of the 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 Kelvin trek. Really not in Enterprise? Cuz no, I didn't I didn't watch Enterprise until like last year. Oh, okay. I watched Next Generation DS9 and then Voyager and all of the Next Gen movies. Gotcha. Yeah, the Orions are kind of forgotten about in Next Gen and Deep Space. I don't 9. think they're mentioned at all, really. Except, no. except in passing. I, I feel like the Orion's. I feel like the Orion Syndicate's mentioned once in a blue moon, but it's never shown. Well, and that's something yeah. I wanted to mention was when you watch this episode close to when you watch the end of Discovery season one, the Orions don't match or match or match at all because the Orions on Kronos at the end of Discovery are, are yeah they have like bars and everything, but they're also kind of like warriors and fighters but the women are still pretty tough and badass. And then you go to the cage and Majel Barrett and the green makeup. And there's nothing wrong with saying it. She was playing a sexy Orion female. Yeah. Wait, wasn't that supposed to be, um, that that's Vina though. That's not, that's not number one. I thought it was Majel Barrett and the green paint though. Well, okay. never mind. That's a different, sorry. Different episode. Yeah. I think I'm pretty sure that's, yeah, you're right. It is Vina. Vina. Because she's trying to use the uh, uh, the mental imagery to kind of allure or draw Pike in, right? But in in addition to those instances of Orion's slave girls, we also see a very a much different version in the uh, Kelvin Trek movie where there's an Orion girl in Starfleet because she's Uhura's roommate. Oh yeah, Rachel Griffiths because she was just in uh, a year before that she was in the GI Joe film as well. Is that Rachel Griffiths? Yeah, it's Rachel Griffiths, yeah. She's, you know, huh. what, six foot tall. I mean, she's a very tall, gorgeous woman, but yeah, she's, uh, she was also in G.I. Joe. But yeah, I mean, the, the Orions have changed quite a bit. I mean, Enterprise totally retconned them, and Discovery kind of followed suit with that. But the original series, I mean, the original series Orions are pretty much what you get in the cage. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, she was just a. Uh, a dancing girl. It's not like they gave her much personality to go with. Not really, no. But I always thought that it was a really creepy scene. And the guy who, the other guy who's got the Starfleet uniform, I just, he always came off as a total creeper. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's any way with modern, the modern viewpoints of most people, I think we would all watch that today kind of think he was pretty creepy. <laughs> but I remember thinking that as a kid, like this dude's weird. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess you're not wrong. Wait, Greg, I knew you were wrong. That was Diora Baird. Was the Orion from the beginning of 2009 Star Trek? What? Diora Baird. Are you sure? Yes. Looking at it on IMDb, I know her work very well. She's very pretty. Hmm. Who the hell was I thinking then? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway. Good talk, guys. Good talk. <laughs> um, 
so let's 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 continue with the cage here. Um, so there's not a whole lot to really say from a special effects standpoint. I guess we could talk about some of the props. The phaser, the communicator, those things definitely changed. The phaser that looked like a, a beer can with a handle. A little bit. A little bit. I always liked those, though. Yeah. And they just called them laser guns. Or laser guns. It seemed like the the very few things they had figured out about Star Trek stuff at this for this episode were uh, teleporters, uh, Spock... And the ship. <laughs> and the theme song. I don't know, man. Spock changes so much. Well, the name Spock. And the, the pointy Spock. ears. The name Spock, yeah. Yeah, but, I think uh, you're right. They, they knew they wanted the uh, the alien on the bridge. They knew that much. Yeah. It's just like the the stuff that they nailed is so minimal compared to like even what it was two, two versions later. It's just like, man, they just started from scratch. Just about. They really did. I mean, so part of it, uh, you know, for people who don't know, you know, uh, Hunter, who who played Pike, uh, he ended up going off doing other things. And that's that's sadly how he ended up dying was from uh, a series of injuries that began on set. He was filming in France in 1967 and he died in 1968. So, um, you know, if that pilot had been picked up, he probably would not have been filming in France and may have had a nice long career in Star Trek or some other franchise. Um, so that's a little sad, but, uh, that does explain why for those who, who know about the, the Pike in the futuristic wheelchair where he can just beep yes and no, uh, that's because they needed a different actor to play him, uh, because Jeffrey Hunter had died. Uh, so, you know, not, not the most well, positive situation. I, I mean, th- they also didn't, have an actor playing Pike because if that if this episode didn't air for another twenty years, they they weren't really tied to any actor. They could have just gotten anyone. Oh, so you you so you I guess you don't know this yet, Jeremy. So uh, there is an episode in the original series called the Menagerie, which is another term used in the cage. And in the Menagerie, there is a trial where Pike returns, but he is a uh, injured and disfigured man who cannot speak. He is in a special no, I know that. wheelchair. You know, I, know, I know that from the reference on Futurama. Okay. So that is an episode in the original series, and they use, during the trial, when they're having kind of conversations with Spock and everything, do these flashbacks, and they use footage from the cage. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So uh, that's why, like, so the version of the cage you watch um, is basically all of the footage from the Menagerie. And that's why it's all colorized and it looks good. If you watch the extended cut of the cage, which is available on the Blu-rays, the black and white scenes were not used in the Menagerie. And by the time the episode was stitched together in the 80s, 20 years later, the original footage, that's all that they had left was this kind of degraded black and white. (laughs) And just to redeem myself a little bit, it wasn't Rachel Griffiths, it was Rachel Nichols in 2009 Star Trek. Oh I had God. to. I had to look it up. <laughs> I had to look up the 2009 Orion Girl in, two, in the 2009 Star Trek. Rachel Nichols. I apologize, Star Trek fans. No. Now back to the cage. It's wait. No, it's Dior Baird. Is is the woman who is who hides Kirk under the bed? Who is the roommate of? A, All right. This of, is this. This should be really easy, guys. Like it's on <laughs> IMDb, Kayla, Yeah, right? played by Rachel Nichols. I disagree, but Wait I don't want to get did, going. Did they right have now. two Orion girls in 2009 Star Trek? Not that I recall. Gala. Yeah, 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 she is. Rachel Nichols. But then Diora Baird is the the other Orion. Is That's what she's credited as on IMDb, the wrong Orion. The wrong Orion? We've gone off the rails here. We're, Which is perfect for we'll, Star Trek, the, the cage. Well, we'll get to that when we get to Star Trek 09 at some point in the future, I think. Yep. Um, but uh, but anyway, where we were here. So yeah, so the Menagerie, I guess, will be an episode we'll get to at some point during our original series watch here. Um, but 
yeah, it's basically it was a way. So they were having budget issues and uh, needed to come up with some episode content, and basically put together a two part episode that used some new footage and a lot of footage from the cage. So, um, kind of an interesting episode, all done in retrospect, which was kind of cool. So that's how Pike became Which, canon. if you think about it, you know, the end of Star Trek Generations uses the same Klingon ship blown up as the end of Star Trek VI Undiscovered Country. So it's not like yes, it's never happened before. That's true. You're right. No, you're totally right. Um, but this was a very important thing as far as canon's concerned, because if the Menagerie had not happened, then Pike would not be canon, at least not until the 2009 film. So um, because they did the Menagerie, he was there it all happened the cage was official content even though it had not aired in its entirety so that's that's kind of what happened and then if you think about it they even mentioned captain pike once on star trek discovery yeah i mean they actually they accidentally created 50 years of canon with one single character and now we've we're gonna have one anson mount is going to be playing pike uh, on discovery he is now the fourth actor to play Pike, um, since we had Jeffrey Hunter um, start it in the, in the in the cage, so you know, interesting character over the years. I've always liked Pike from the cage. Uh, I under I, I can I can understand how you'd be tired, how you you know you're putting pe- people's lives are in your hands and they're at risk and people are dying and you have to like that whole conversation he has with the doctor. I just feel like it's a very real conversation that would take place. Like it is his job to sometimes decide who lives and who dies. And that's gotta be very stressful for. Well, yeah, it's cause it's not that he wants to do it. He knows that sometimes he has to do it and it still sucks. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also interesting that the, the ship's doctor has like a leather doctor's bag that has a bar in it. That's so like mash. Yeah, I mean, that's very 1960s old school. Obviously, Bones isn't quite like that. But, you know, the idea was they, that's what they wanted from the beginning was that relationship, though, between the captain and the doctor, a, a friendship that allowed them to speak outside of rank. And you got to see a little bit of that. And I think that relationship carried over into Kirk and Bones. Yeah, I think that was a better version of it. It's just the the chemistry I didn't think was there with this cast Everything had kind of that muted, just like stoic white guy, 60s TV vibe where just everyone, it's, no one's interesting. I don't know. I just had no enjoyment for this because everybody was just kind of frustrated and just like, let's just get through this. And it's like, well, how am I supposed to have fun if none of you are? It's like someone should be excited about something. Well, they got really excited about that blue plant that was humming. Yeah. Spock, Spock especially was very excited about that. He so, was. You know. Um, all right. So we're starting to run out of time here. Is there anything on the cage that you guys would like to discuss that we have not brought up yet? Uh, we didn't talk about the fact that they used a psychic projection to turn themselves into some kind of cheap... Uh, Halloween store werewolf that just kind of flailed around for a second. That was kind of a weird... It's like, well, is this what they actually look like? Or is he just just no. making himself look like a weird monster for a second? I, like, I think he was supposed to actually... I think they just reused the suit that was earlier in the episode when Pike's looking at the other cages and there's that bird creature and then there's that other like ape-like creature. Yeah, And I think that was that suit. So... <laughs> Definitely a budget-saving technique, I think. Quick recycling, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's what that was. I'll just always be grateful that somehow the cage resulted in 50 years of Star Trek. It did. You know, uh, the network did not give up on Gene. They gave him another opportunity, and Gene was able to rework things and gave us where no, no man has gone before. And that's that's how it all started. I mean, I I think that's why the cage is important is it laid the groundwork for everything that came after it. And uh, you know, we've we've discussed a lot of that, so I'm not going to repeat myself. But but in the same way that it was the the birth of Trek, it was almost the death of Trek. I mean this this could have ended 
all all trek where it began because of the because of that it was very good well that's yeah and that's one of the arguments about gene roddenberry's idea is that his idea for the future i think is the idea we all should strive for but that does not necessarily mean it makes for good television i mean and right? the the underlying like inclusiveness and whatever that became Trek and what made Trek an interesting thing in this time is what this episode was completely lacking. It was, it was a bunch of boring white people that weren't having any fun when they switched it out with a very interesting cast of a Japanese guy and a black woman and Spock being kind of much more alien than he is in this episode. Then we actually have a cast of characters that are interesting Russian guy says something weird. Bones, bones. Yeah, and, and, and you're right, but that, that's you know I think that's part of the argument for the motion picture is that while the motion picture might be fairly boring and uh, not not really exciting, it's probably the most Star Trek movie. Yeah, because I mean the motion picture that's kind of all it was doing was wallowing in its Star Trekness. <laughs> it like it put on a glistening suit of Star Trek and just kind of stood there to be looked at in all of its resplendence. It's like, all right, that's cool, but it's like, give me something else. Do do a flip. Yeah. Which is why you know we ended up getting a, a totally different show. So you know that's that's I kind of think where that goes. So any final remarks, guys? My final remark is that Greg was right. Dior Baird was in a cutout scene. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Star Trek, Star Trek 09. 09. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad that's part of our cage conversation. It's all connected. <laughs> it's important. Greg, anything from you? No, I mean the episode I hate to I hate this phrase, it is what it is, but I think the cage by now, fifty years later, we understand what the episode is. We definitely understand what the episode is not. But I think something Jeremy just said, maybe they they still had faith in Gene Roddenberry, but they realized they needed to shake something up with the cast and characters. And the shakeups resulted in a cast and crew that, 50 years later, people still talk about those same original series characters with reverence and awe, and I think that's a good thing. Well, it's just contrast. It's it's social contrast. When, when you have a bunch of people that, like have the same haircut and have similar voices and are just kind of have the same emotional register. There's, there's nothing to play off of. You don't have, you don't have a cast of characters. You have nothing. You have mannequins. And it's like these, these people acted their parts competently. It's not like they're bad actors, but the casting was just terrible. It's just, none of these people had anything that set them apart from each other. And it's like, even the women were just like, I mean, they're all just kind of fit, youngish women. The The biggest differences were that there was a blonde brunette and a redhead. And it's like, right. one was stoic, one was slightly less stoic, and one was like a generic damsel in distress. And it's like, it's like, okay, it's like, what about this is, is different? And it's like, we got teleporters and phasers and time warp drive and it's like clearly they needed to go back into the writer's room for another few days and and really get something that was worth making because this just it just didn't feel like there was anything going on well interestingly enough according to imdb people actually preferred the menagerie over the cage with the menagerie part one and part two getting an 8.4 and an 8.3 respectively whereas the cage only got a 7.7 .7. Personally, I'm surprised so. it's even that high. That's just, I don't know. Yeah, 7-7 seven, seven actually makes it rated higher than a lot of season one episodes, uh, including episode, uh, The Man Trap and Charlie X, which were the next two episodes. But that leads me to my question, gentlemen. Uh, what is the next episode we are going to watch? I am asking because Where No Man Has Gone Before was the second pilot, but it actually was not the first episode aired. Okay, what was the first episode aired? So that would be The Man Trap. And I just wanted to confirm if we were watching The Man Trap next or if we were watching Where No Man Has Gone Before. Um, 
Because there's there's production order and then there is um, uh, airing order. I mean, the only order I know is Netflix order, so none of this is meaningful to me. Well, we have to decide which order we're going to watch them in. Let's watch where no one has uh, gone before. Okay. That's my recommendation. Just because that's... I, I think that's a better introductory to Star Trek, Star Trek. Especially following the cage. I also think it's a more smooth experience because where No Man Has Gone Before looks a lot like the cage, like the uniforms are still the same, um, some of the ship designs are the, are the same, and it doesn't change until after that to what we end up knowing the original series as. Okay, so we're watching episode four next, and then we're going to go back to episode two. <laughs> it it makes sense if you don't think about it. I mean, you're t- yeah, see, the Netflix order is confusing, but the first episode produced was where no man has gone before which was the second pilot and that was then followed by the corbinite maneuver which is a very famous episode so the man trap was actually the fifth episode produced uh okay (laughs) (laughs) see this is why i wanted to clarify so we're gonna start then with the second the second pilot Right? Yes. Sure. Where no man has gone before. And then will we go back to the man trap and then watch them in the Netflix order? Or do we have to do this production order? (laughs) I don't know what this is. I guess we'll have to talk about it. We'll talk about that offline and we'll let everybody know next week when we talk about where no man has gone before. Okay. (laughs) I can hear the the confusion and tenseness in uh, Jeremy's voice. He'll be okay. I just want to watch them in Netflix order so I can click play and it will just play the episode. Now I got to do research and look at the historical records. It's not that hard. It's on Memory Alpha, I promise. Well, a lot of shit's on Memory Alpha that I'm never going to read. <sighs> we'll help you. We'll help you, Jeremy. I okay, promise. guys. We'll help you through this. And I'll teach you both how to love Star Trek Insurrection when we get there. I love Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, okay, I do then. not. I'll teach you. That will not happen. <laughs> we're we're going to hold hands and time's going to slow to a crawl. We're going to see the flapping of a butterfly's wing. There's not enough whiskey in the world. There's a whole holographic ship. I mean, Look, cool. there's 13 Star Trek movies. We're all entitled to not like some of them. Okay, so wait a second. There, we there's all a holographic have have... ship in a lake. Why is it not displacing any water? They're walking on a dock. Because it's a hologram. What? What? No, it should, it should still displace water. Yeah, but the sh- you can't the see itself... that the water is being displaced because it's showing you non-displaced water. Yeah, but the water. doctor walking on is, like, dry. Anyways, we... Look, there's a lot of problems with that movie. <laughs> the hollow ship, I think, is the least of our concerns when we get to Star Trek Insurrection. But I still love that movie, so... Uh, Ram scoop, scoop? That they never use again? Uh, well, that's because they call it the LaForge Maneuver. <laughs> that's true no the, the Riker maneuver the Riker maneuver excuse me uh, the LaForge maneuver is just launching the warp I, I thought out. it was I thought it was doing an unnecessary <laughs> barrel roll underneath a closing door yes anyways yes. we will get to insurrection and we will get to next generation soon <laughs> no right. we won't <laughs> we have so we... much the original series it's gonna be like a year <laughs> I just can't wait till we get like to the really bad original series episodes like Spock This really is gonna be is. this is gonna be a rough ride for me. There's a reason I haven't watched these. Look, there's some gems in here. All right, the Corbinite maneuver, City on the Edge of Forever, Mirror, Mirror. There's some great stuff in here. There's also some really bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know what I'm in for. I was I was the first one to suggest we start watching these. It's just a matter of who. Did not... you know, Jeremy, that there is a Halloween episode of Star Trek? I did not. Yes, it's called Cat's Paw. And as a kid, as a child, a young child, it was one of my favorite episodes. It is not a very good episode. <laughs> is that why you have the sick fantasy with cosplay now? No, no, <laughs> it is not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Cat's Paw was the first episode produced of season two. Oh, God, production order again. You have to get a spreadsheet. 
<laughs> or or you could just use the memory alpha article. It's all in order, buddy. <sighs> all right, we've rambled quite enough, I think. So I think we are going to close things out. Uh, you can find me at the Star Trek Dude on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can find the network here at Heroes Podcasts on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or heroespodcasts.com. The show is on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Blog Talk Radio, as well as anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. Uh, Jeremy and Greg, where can people find you guys? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Zen Munkin, and I can I can officially plug something that my studio did. We made the uh, augmented reality app to go with the movie Rampage, so check out Rampage AR. Nice. That is, that is pretty Very cool. Very cool, man. Yeah, you can like point it at the wall and have a giant gorilla climbing on the side of a building in augmented reality. It's pretty sweet. It's free. Well, maybe we'll have to bring you on to Gamer Heroes to talk a little bit about it. It's not a game, but sure. Well, Rampage started off as a game. Oh, that's I true. Mean, yeah, it's a video game movie that you made an augmented reality app for. It definitely fits more with Gamer Heroes than Red Shirts and Runabouts. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, we don't know what Star Trek Discovery Season 2 has in store for us. <laughs> the Rock can return to, to stop Star Trek. a gigantic space gorilla from destroying the Discovery. Uh, but I you, like can, it. you guys can uh, find me I'm on sold uh, right there. Twitter and Yahoo <laughs> at the, the underscore Bittersteel. Fantastic. All right. Well, we will be back next week to talk where no man has gone before the original series episode, not the next gen episode of the same title. So please watch that and join us for a conversation. And if you're watching on Netflix, it's episode four. All right, let's get out of here. Red Shirts and Runabouts is part of the Heroes Podcast Network. The show is hosted by myself, Gregory Bosco, along with Jeremy Munkin and Derek Mayer. The theme song is by Flying Killer Robots. You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at heroespodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at heroespodcast.com. Engage. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.